Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Science to Suits podcast. Uh, we're very excited for our guest today, uh, Dr. Simeon George. He is the current CEO of the venture capital firm SR1, and he's also a Penn alum. Dr. George, if we can call you that, uh, thank you very much for coming. Could you just give us a little bit of a background on yourself and how you got here? Sure. Thanks, Daniel, Jerick. It's good to meet both of you and do this. And uh, you guys can call me Simeon. So we'll just start there. Um, so I am, uh, I'm a physician by training. I am grew up in a household where my parents were both physicians. I grew up in London and uh, really my earliest memories are around medicine and science and problem solving and working um, to try and really come up with ways to try and treat patients at their most vulnerable, right? That's been really what has compelled me from the time I was a little boy until now, it's this idea of like problem solving in healthcare and using um, my training as a physician, which I which I did at Penn alongside my MBA, which I got at Wharton to really help me now um, as a as an investor in in life science companies. So I focus on um, early stage venture capital investment investments in primarily biotech and. You know, the training that I had at Penn, as, as I said, in medicine and in business uh, and my experiences in investment banking and in management consulting and working in a startup have sort of given me, I think, the, the foundation to be able to uh, to really come with a prepared and, and careful mind to be able to work on, as I said, really compelling early stage science. And really the, the vision for the type of investing that I do is around turning science into medicines like that's that's ultimately what I'm, I'm like here to do. Like that's my mission. It's to help these founders and entrepreneurs on this incredible journey, going from research into the clinic, testing in patients and be able to hopefully show really compelling data and on the back of that data, take products to market. So that's, that's my background. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I believe uh, I'm here to, to really play an enabling role in and, um, you know, happy to, happy to sort of discuss in any more detail in any of these points. Yeah, thank you for that, for that background. It's, it's really wonderful to hear. And I guess one of the first questions I have, you mentioned that uh, you like investing in early stage biotech startups, and you also want to turn scientific insights into medicines. And is there a particular type of early stage biotech you like to start, whether it's a certain uh, disease state, a certain, say, type of modality, whether it's a med device or like a small molecule therapeutic? Where does where do you or SR one like to like to play? Um, it's a good question. So we have done. <clears throat> I've been investing now for fourteen years. We've probably done every aspect of the <clears throat> of sort of sector stage modality that you've just described. And and I would say that for me now, where you're catching me at this point in time is, I'm compelled by two things. One is entrepreneurs and founders and scientists that are working on, like are really passionate about whatever, whatever it is they're working on. And they have clear expertise, domain knowledge around what they're doing. Um, and I'm frankly agnostic to what that might be. It could be around biology. It could be around modalities. It could be around technology, like something where when I'm sit sitting or talking to these founders, you get a sense that these are truly passionate people that are truly world-class. Like they have a view, they have a vision, they're compelled by it. They have a thesis around why this is important. And then that gets me, that captivates me and that gets me going on the journey. So I'd say that's point one. The second piece is, again, I'm really focused on the translational aspects of science to medicine. And so 
having as uh, as early as we can a sense of what the applications or utility could be for the technology, the therapeutic, the device, et cetera, is really important to me. Sort of like clinician, clinician mindset around what is ultimately going to be the therapeutic impact of this intervention. Uh, and beyond that, I mean, again, my history suggests like I've done, again, I've been involved in founding companies where it's been blank sheet of paper and a, you know, an incredible founder. Uh, I've worked on small molecule chemistry for targeted cancer therapies. I've worked on biologics for autoimmune diseases. I've worked on new modalities, cell and gene therapy, again, between cancer, rare, uh, rare blood disorders. I've worked on gene editing. Uh, I'm working on a um, systems biology uh, startup right now. So I've sort of done everything. And I, I wouldn't say necessarily that I focus on one area over others. It's really driven by people that are really on, you know, a mission to try and transform uh, healthcare and science that I believe is going to have true clinical impact. And so th this series is kind of centered around the entrepreneurship path, um, particularly for say graduate students or postdocs. And if somebody was at, coming to you and asking, what's the best way to make that utility pitch that this is going to really add a tremendous amount of value. So what I mean by that is what are the metrics for lack of a better term that you use or, or SR1 uses to, to really discern that this is going to be quite impactful? Is it something like market size or is it like you mentioned world-class talent on the team? What do you value in a potential investment? Yeah, um, good question. So, you know, we, we use at SR1, we use this like framework that helps to at least um, organize our thoughts, right? And we call it the five M's. I, I, I think I came up with that name. It's not the most creative, but it captures at least a lot of the buckets, right? So at least for me, it's a nice way to guide uh, the way we evaluate an opportunity. So management, number one M for me is management. It's the people involved in the company, right? The founders, the entrepreneurs, whether they're coming from training, academia, startup, large company, whatever it is, like who are the people that are really driving this effort, right? What does it look like today? Where are the gaps? Every company startup is going to have gaps. Uh, how, you know, is there a plan to potentially address those gaps? And frankly, is there enough self-awareness around the table uh, with the founders to understand where they're great, where their limitations are, how can we help them achieve um, their ambitions, right? So that management piece, it's an iterative piece. You know, I liken it, you know, the best example is like, if you've been in a long-term relationship or you're married or, you know, like, it's like you are starting something where it's gonna take years, right? And you have to be committed to the other side. You have to understand how to complement each other. You have to understand you're gonna go through trials and tribulations. Um, and it takes a village, right? Like one person can't do this, right? So it's like really having alignment around what that that team looks like and should look like to support the underlying business. So that to me is a critical one. Mechanism is the second one. And that relates to my earlier point, you know, science into medicines, like ultimately, like how does your product technology medicine device, how does it work? Like, what is it doing? And what is your level of understanding of the mechanism of action behind that approach, right? You know, and, you know, obviously the more, the more there's confidence around that mechanism being something that is meaningful, that you can replicate, that could have a true effect, like obviously that makes it uh, that much more compelling. Um, 
The third M is market. And it's interesting. I was just talking to uh, um, actually the former R&D head for Gilead, Norbert Bischofberger. He's, uh, he's involved in one of the startups that we're working on now. And it's, it's amazing to work with people of this caliber who've been you know, responsible for turning Gilead from when it was a startup into you know, what it is now and the leadership that the company has shown you know, in, in antivirals and in cancer, et cetera. So we talked about market and for him, he said, listen, ultimately, if there's a clinical need, it solves, you know, it, it fills an unmet need. You know, market sizing is one where you can actually probably be more flexible around it. It doesn't have to be, as you guys know, a mass market cardi cardiovascular drug that's going to treat hundreds of millions, because that probably means the path to get that drug approved is also going to be seismic uh, with respect to quantum of capital patients that you need to show an effect, the safety profile, et cetera. And as you guys are aware, you know, right now we're in an environment where the more precision we have around patient populations that are targeted, where you have a stronger degree of confidence, either based on genetics or biology around why the drug might work, um, you know, the higher degree of confidence you might have in terms of being able to, to actually create a new medicine, right? So in that case, those are usually smaller market sizes. So market is something, it's just to be aware of in my mind, what is the competitive dynamic? Um, how many products are approved? How many products are ahead of you in the pipeline? How do you position this product relative to those peer groups? So that's where I would say the market piece uh, becomes important. And what do you need to show, right? For ultimately regulators to, to give you the green light to approve the drug, for um, physicians to want to prescribe the drug, for payers to want to pay for the drug and for patients to feel like comfortable that they should take the drug, right? So market sort of has that assessment in it. Um, the fourth M would be milestones. So this is for me, you know, ultimately we're investors, we're custodians of capital from our own investors, our limited partners. And so ultimately my goal is to turn $1 or one pound into a multiple of that, right? So understanding what are the milestones, the specific milestones, the deliverables that the company is going to achieve with the quantum of capital that they're raising now, right? So technical milestones, team milestones, partnership, whatever it is, like what are the critical de-risking events that will lead to the next value inflection point, right? And if those aren't clear, then you know I could probably wait until the next round and then invest and probably the valuation hasn't gone up, right? So that's, uh, that's an important piece. Um, so I did management. Oh, the last one is the fifth one is uh, money. So that's just, you know, like, what does it look like with respect to existing investors? If there are no investors, how much money do we need to raise now? Who else can we syndicate? A lot of the deals that we do are partnered with at least one or two other investors. Who are the groups that we would want to work with? And then from there, it's understanding how much money do we need to continue to get to future milestones? How much is already accounted for by the investors alongside us that are coming into the deal. So thinking about reserve and, uh, you know, again, a way to sort of build to ultimately what is the, hopefully the true value inflection points for the company. So those are the five M's. And then, you know, I guess to add a little bit of flair, we have a sixth, which is magic. And so every once in a while you work on deals where, you know, they, they score highly across a number of those metrics. It usually starts with the, the management, the people and the science. And you're able to do things, you know, I talk a lot about escape velocity. You're able to essentially lift 
the overall project company, et cetera, to a status where it's able to do things that almost seem like irresistible, like it can raise capital on demand, it can hire, hire the best people, it can think about partnering, it can access the public markets, it can do all of these things. And that magic component is an important one, especially when you're starting early to at least have a vision for how can you create the right set of ingredients around which a company can levitate, if you will, right? So I think about that a lot. And, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough in my career where I've seen that pattern play out, right? So I sort of have a sense, like, it's like a colleague of mine was saying, you know, like if you follow, like I'm, I grew up in England, so I follow English football. When you're watching a match, you're playing in a match, like you can smell a goal, like, you know, something is coming because just the way that, you know, whatever's happening at that moment. And it's like that in biotech, like you can sense something important and valuable is happening here and incredible. And so that's the magic piece that uh, I look for if I can. So hopefully that was uh, quite an exhaustive answer, but hopefully it gives you a sense. No, thank you. I bet detecting that magic is, is quite important too, not just it being there. Yeah. Yes. Simeon, you mentioned in the money bucket about working with other investors. Can you expand on that a little bit more? For example, uh, how do previous earlier stage investors affect your decision to invest? Um, so generally, we're getting in at the first institutional round or we're founding the company. And so in that case, there isn't necessarily the history or frankly, the baggage of prior investors. We're one of the early stage investors. And Frankly, like we, I prefer it that way. Like I'd like to be getting in and helping to shape the company from the way it's capitalized to how you think about, again, critical decisions on hiring strategy, all of that. Um, and I find for early stage companies, the more, the more you sort of have people around the table, more cooks in the kitchen, the more disruptive it is. Because as you guys know, there's more questions than answers, right? Like there's no truth here. Like it's not like it's black and white. So you need to have a clear sort of focus and vision and alignment around which to execute. And so the more people that are there, everyone has their inputs and they're smart and they're bringing a perspective, the more candidly it can confuse an early stage situation, right? So I prefer fewer people early. Um, if we're looking at a later stage round, like a series B round, which is probably our latest entry point, frankly, so at that point, there will have been a Series A. So yeah, for sure, we'll look at who the investors are, the people on the board, how much has been raised, how does the board function right now? Like, is it effective? Are there issues there? Um, and try and glean as best we can before we make a decision to invest. Um, I'd say, frankly, those are less interesting to me personally than doing the seed or Series A investments. So if we're doing a later deal, we have to feel pretty comfortable around some of those components. And obviously, then there's the other aspect around valuation, ownership, all of those things, which obviously get valuation presumably is going up, our ownership would go down in those rounds. So those are other constraints that we have when we're coming in later. Barring any previous investors, uh, since you're getting in pretty early, I think a question we've thought about is what are any potential red flags that would kind of signal to you kind of the opposite of that magic? Like, this is, this is not a place to deploy capital. Uh, I mean, listen, so the reality is, you know, we do maybe six to eight new deals a year and we probably see six to 800 opportunities, right? So yeah, the reality is most things for, for good or bad reasons, we're going to say no to, right? It's just the, the way our business is constructed, how much time we can spend on a particular opportunity. So we get it wrong all the time, right? That's, that's the, 
the part of this job is like, you can say no. And in most cases, you're probably right, but there are instances where we're wrong, right? We, we should have done the deal. Um, I mean, so, you know, I guess the probably the more interesting way to think about it is um, in which situations are we not pursuing something that we want to pursue maybe, or we, we uh, or maybe from the founder perspective, what not to do. If oh, I see. Okay. Uh, I mean, listen, I would say for founders, I mean, listen, you got to tell your story. You have to be authentic. You have to believe in what you're doing. You have to be aware again of what you don't know and be open and um, communicate in a way that builds trust, right? So that's the critical thing. As I said, this is a partnership. It's a relationship. You want to feel like the other side is telling you what they know. And if they don't know something, they're putting their hands up and saying, okay, I don't know this, but this is how I'm going to go about trying to figure it out. Or, you know, I need your help to, to sort of be able to, to answer that, right? So I think that's much more appealing than pretending to know something. And then, um, you know, it's inefficient. It, it sort of breaks down the trust. Um, so that's a critical thing. And then, you know, beyond that, listen, I mean, you've got to, um, you know, you've got to be confident, you've got to show a level of hustle, creativity, dynamism, like you have to be, I have to ultimately believe that you're going to be able to walk through walls, you know, whatever it takes to make this successful, like that's ultimately what I personally am looking for. And maybe just a quick anecdote, you know, for my own business, SR1, you know, we, we were part of GSK, one of the large pharma companies for 35 years. And then last year we spun out and that was an incredible process. And then we had to go out and raise our own money, right? So we raised first fund of 500 million. We're, uh, you know, sort of in the process on the next fund. Um, and so I, I understand, and I've also been involved in founding companies. So I understand full well, I have empathy for entrepreneurs, founders, and I know the level of drive and determination I have for my business. And I'm looking to work with people that have that level of commitment and passion. And, you know, that to me is the biggest thing that gets me excited. On the flip side, if I don't feel that, then that's harder for me to then sort of devote time and effort to. And Simeon, once you've invested in a company, what is that relationship like with the company moving forward and how do you help them grow? We're very active. I mean, between myself and my team, I mean, we roll up our sleeves. We have uh, on my team now just, just an amazing set of executives who have been through startups, have sort of taken companies from start to finish multiple times over some of the most successful companies and executives in our business that are working with me now, right? So in addition to the capital, I feel like that's like the low bar here. So it's like giving the company capital, like, you know, again, capital is plentiful. So it's more, what can we do to help these founders achieve their full potential? Like I, I passionately believe in this. So it's how do we help you think about hiring the right talent? You know, we've got on our team now, Chris Chai, who is a three-time former chief financial officer, all three companies he took public, all three companies ended up getting sold. The last was Principia Biopharma, where I was on the board from start to finish, uh, and it ended up in close to a $4 billion acquisition. So Chris is on our team to work with these founders to help them think about capital raising. He can sort of plot it out. He knows everyone, right? He knows all of the investors at each stage of the stack, right? From private uh, investors in the VC range, into the crossovers, into the public investors. Not only does he know them, he's made all of them money. So they pick up his call when he calls them, right? So he gets involved. He helps thinking through the fundraising strategy syndication. He interviews when we're, in, we're hiring for CFO candidates or finance 
folks that are joining these companies. That is incredibly valuable for these founders who, with all due respect, have never done anywhere near what someone like Chris Chai has done, right? So those are the kind of capabilities that we bring. And it's not just Chris, we have, you know, BD operations, like every aspect of sort of the biotech experience within my team, we have done multiple times over, right? So we all lean in, we all work closely with these founders. And then the board level, as I said, it's a very interactive, you know, ultimately there's a CEO ideally that's running the company and we're there to provide, um, to really be a sounding board for the CEO through critical decisions, to provide governance around how the overall business is run, to help, again, when it comes to key hires or strategic decisions around partnering or capital raising. And then in moments of crisis, right, we're there, right, to be able to help in any way that we can. You know, I, I pride myself on having very close relationships with founders and entrepreneurs. I, I hope that I am the first call that they make when things are not going well, frankly, so they can um, share that with me early. We can start brainstorming. Again, it's really going back to the first thing I said, which is around like problem solving. Like that's where I feel like I'm most um, invigorated and that's where I'm, I'm there to, to sort of help. Because again, no company is linear from start to finish. It, they all go through various ebbs and flows and founders should you know feel comfortable and have a level of trust and openness with myself and board members to be able to um, work through these things. So the, one of the founders we spoke to, uh, he who was the postdoc who spun out the technology from his time at Penn, he's actually the, also the CEO, at least at this point for the startup company. And I'm, I'm wondering if your expectations vary or are different for somebody like that who comes primarily from a technical background or somebody who has come in with uh, various entrepreneurship experiences as more executive and come to lead this company that the founder has passed off? It, is it, do you have a preference or is like the ultimate passion and invigoration around the technology really what's the salient point? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that's a salient point. I mean, listen, ultimately a founder in particular who's bringing their technologies and capabilities to start a company, I have the utmost respect for those individuals, right? And I wanna support them uh, and I have a track record of, of backing first-time CEOs. Like I, I actually like that. I think it's those are entrepreneurs that are hungry, ambitious, have something to prove. So that to me is, is amazing, right? If, if you've got that sort of caliber person and they're also close to the technology, the science, especially for the early stages, I think that's um, incredible. Um, and I, I would welcome those sorts of opportunities. As I said, those individuals need to have a a growth mindset, right? They need to understand where their gaps are. They need to think about how are they going to hire people that are better than them to fill those roles. Um, and frankly, they need to grow with the business, right? They need to be able to continue to evolve their own capabilities to meet the needs of their business as hopefully the company moves up. And the reality is, you know, most founders don't necessarily end up being the same founders that are leading the companies three, five, seven years down. Like that's generally, if you just look at the history of, of biotech, at least that is the case, right? So I think it's sort of being open and aware and being part of the journey. And there are exceptions. There are founders that sort of take it all the way through. And that's amazing. Um, equally, I'm excited to work with, you know, I would say it's more entrepreneurs that I know well have worked with before. So I understand again where their strengths are. I understand how we work together, uh, and so I, I'm also seeking those sorts of opportunities out. So I'm, you know, I'm driven more by at that point in time: is this executive entrepreneur founder 
passionate and the right person for this business, right? Whether it's a serial entrepreneur or whether it's first time, you know, I think you can, you can get a sense of that. Simeon, pivoting a little bit here, we listened to your podcast with uh, Sharif Akili. And in that podcast, you talked about your passion for co-founding a company, Encarta, uh, which for our listeners out there, Encarta is a clinical stage company developing natural killer cell therapies. Uh, so we found that to be a very interesting development in your journey as an investor. Uh, what prompted you as an investor to so-called switch over to the other side, to the founder side, and found new companies? Yeah, uh, good question. Yes. Yeah, so uh, thanks for listening to that. So I guess it's you two and my mom that have listened to that. Um, um, no, that's no, this Shreef is, Shreef is terrific. I actually really enjoyed listening to those podcasts. Those are, uh, those are really fun. Um, so, you know, for me, that one, it has both a personal narrative as well as a professional one. Professional one is, is probably the easier one. It's just more, I was at a point in my career where I had been investing um, and been more probably reactive, right? Just interesting things came to me and I got excited about it and I invested in them. And I was sort of at a point in my career where I wanted to be more proactive, more dynamic. And there were areas of science that I was also quite compelled by, certainly cell therapies, gene therapy, especially coming out of Penn was something that had been in my mind, right, for a number of years. Um, and so just is like lightning in a bottle, like right place, right time, you know, early on, you know, and it goes like Encarta is just one piece, you know, like we were lead series A investors of CRISPR therapeutics, right? So the first papers came out on CRISPR 2012, 2013 timeframe. We started talking to the founders shortly thereafter, spent a year sort of working with them to put together what became the series A. That was roughly around the same time that Encarta and Arcelix, which is the other cell therapy company that I'm a co-founder of, we were all, we were working on these ideas in parallel. So it was, I would say a point in my career where that's what I, you know, that was the next challenge. That was, was very um, motivating to me. Um, and also at a point in time in, in the cycle, and probably it's not too dissimilar now, where the most interesting deals and opportunities were ones that you had to go and seek out rather than wait for them to come to you, right? So it was more around who are the incredible founders that I'd love to start developing relationships with and build a company around. Uh, and how do we then optimize for, again, like ownership, amount of capital we can put in, getting in before there's all the baggage of the company that's been around and raised a bunch of money, all of those things. Um, and then personally, and again, this is a shout out to Penn, a really close friend of mine who um, also did the same MD MBA program was at that time, his name is Ali Bebahani, he's at NEA. Um, he and I frankly just wanted to work together, right? We, we'd sort of grown up together, we were close friends and it was hard for either one of us to get each other into our respective deals. And so we thought, let's just start from first principles, let's start companies. So all three of these companies we did together. So that was sort of the underpinning was like Ali and I wanting to work together in areas that we were excited about. Um, and that led to uh, these companies. And yeah, it was you know the most rewarding experience of my career has been in being involved in shaping and starting these companies with these founders, hiring the first employees, pitching to our own firms for money, right? For them to invest in those companies. And then seeing the trajectory of these, these companies obviously has been amazing. Um, and it's, you know, as I said, last year we spun out SR1 and I'm back to being an entrepreneur again. Like I'm running a business, I'm raising capital. Um, and, you know, I, I personally like um, being sort of slightly outside of my comfort zone and pushing myself and learning 
Um, and, you know, that's where the passion and motivation comes from. And so were there any things from your experiences as an investor that really informed what you did as a founder and maybe vice versa too, from your founder journey now, how has that shaped your investing? So first I would say I have a degree of like empathy and camaraderie with founders and entrepreneurs. I think I probably, I mean, I, I, I feel like I had that before, but going through the experience, you, it's acutely made aware to you how hard this is. And, you know, like most people are just saying no to you in general for whatever it is you're trying to do. Right. So um, it's taught me resilience and empathy and wanting to really be supportive and collaborative with, with founders of companies that I'm looking at now and be respectful of their time and their effort. Even if we're not going to invest, it's sort of just a mindset, right. Around how we approach these things. Um, I think it's just made me better in general because I understand, you know, I could say to a much more intimate degree, what is required in startups and what are the things that we need to see when we're investing in a company, having gone through the founding experience. You know, what I shared with you, the, the insight around having fewer people around the board or table when you're starting companies, I learned that the hard way, right, in some of these instances, right? So I'm reflecting on experiences there that I think are making me better. Um, you know, I understand, again, how to think about value creation, right? Um, I'm not interested in like funding technologies for technology's sake. I'm very much laser focused on, again, going from science to products and what are the steps, the discrete steps required in that, in that process. And I hone in on that, um, in a way that again, has been grounded through the founding experience and my own capital raising experience at SR1. Um, so it goes both ways. Like, I just feel like it's overall, it's just made me better at, at what I do. And we're spending quite a bit of time now founding new companies. And so again, I'm leaning on a lot of those experiences, right? So again, the girl, the goal is to not make the same mistakes it's to make new mistakes now, right? Which again, I'm, I'm doing also. Simeon, I think maybe to close this out, do you have any kind of final notes of advice for founders, maybe founders approaching VCs or anything along the entrepreneurship kind of path for them? Um, I would say you've got to be, you've got to have your true north. You've got to be passionate about what you're doing. You have to have a motivation that goes beyond, you know, whatever the ego is around a title or financial benefit. Like it has to be really driven by something in my mind that is pure to the project and what you're working on. And that, that will shine through either meeting with me as an investor or when you're uh, dealing with your board or with your employees. So be authentic, um, persevere, right? This game is all about, you know, what I talk to with my team is like, it's increasing your luck surface area. Like that's ultimately what it is. It's like putting yourself in position enough times where something goes right. And you only do that if you keep bouncing back from whatever adversity you go through, right? So resilience, um, recognizing that luck plays a large part for good or for bad in whatever it is we're doing. Science doesn't often translate. You have to meet the right people at the right time. You know, there's like things that you can't control, right? So being aware of that, not necessarily thinking like, you know, no matter how successful you are or things are going well, having a degree of humility around how you approach interacting with others. You know, I think, um, there's a phrase that is stuck with me that someone said, it's like, you see people twice in life, once on the way up and once on the way down, right? So you have to kind of re remain 
I think, grounded as a founder and entrepreneur. Um, and then lastly, I mean, you got to enjoy this, right? Like, hopefully you guys get a sense. Like, I'm like, this is like, I can't believe I am. This is what I do. It's like a gift that I'm in this position, right? So you have to kind of have a smile. You have to approach things with perspective. You know, there's things you can't control. And, you know, like, unfortunately, they don't always go your way. Focus on the things you can control, be determined, have a plan, and then, you know, keep pivoting until you get to hopefully where, where you need to be. Wonderful. Well, Simeon, thank you so much for, for giving us some of your time. Uh, I think it's going to be incredibly insightful to get a little bit of a window into the venture capitalist mindset and your excitement and vigor definitely comes across. So thank you again. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to our discussion with Simeon George, CEO of SR1. In this episode, we heard about how Simeon and SR1 evaluate biotech companies to invest in, and also Simeon's perspectives as both a founder and an investor. In our next episode, which will be the last of our Life Science Entrepreneurship Series, we will be speaking with Derek Miller about exit opportunities for mature life science startups. Derek is an experienced biopharma professional and has held chief business officer positions, including one at Salator, in which he oversaw Salator's acquisition by Jazz Pharmaceuticals. We look forward to you joining us then.